welcome to episode 370 of the Doctor Today, Doctor Who Podcast. My name is David, and I'm here with my wife, Ginger. Hello. Today we're going to talk about episode 3 of The Stones of Blood. Ooh. We see uh, Umana in the stone circle again, being shipped off into the nether spaces by Vivian. The Doctor, um... And Amelia are still looking at the portrait, saying, she's like, she never told me she was related to the Moncom family. And the doctor says, no, she is the Moncom family and the Trefusis family. And, you know, you're, this is Vivian. It wasn't that she's related to her, to them. She's, and she's probably the managing director of whoever the firm is that owns the circle now. She says, that's right. Vivian is... And Amelia says, the Caliac. Well, yeah, she's been called a number of things, and they've been around for 4,000 years or more. They hear rumbling, and one of the stones has come uh, seeking them. So they run out of the DeFries's hall. Um, Amelia stops and looks. It's like, but that's a stone. How can, you know, it's not possible for it to be moving like this. And it's like, uh, the doctor says, well, it doesn't know that. So keep running. At one point she stops and this, in a show of bravado, grabs at her truncheon and says, I think in the name of science we should capture that creature. She says, we could track it to its lair. And the doctor just grabs her arm and says, come on. <clears throat> So as they, um, as they run away from the house uh, across the moors, they reach the cliffs, and the stone is still following them, still chasing them. And so the, the doctor takes off his, his scarf and his jacket, and Amelia is not sure what he's doing. And as he's at the edge of the cliff, he pulls his jacket out and says, cape as if he were a matador and he tricks the the stone uh, into falling over the edge and it plunges down into the ocean below and we see the glowing light within it actually go out. Um, Back at the stone circle, Vivian is back in her mask and her her feathered uh, get-up and she's using her magic wand uh, to set a circle around herself. The doctor and Amelia come upon her, and he says, No need to wear a mask for us, Miss Faye. So she takes the mask off. And she says, uh, says, Well, it's all over now anyway. And she says, No, I have Romana. And he says, where is she? Is she safe? So, you know, you could have her back if you, if you just leave her alone, leave me alone. Um, And the doctor says, well, I can't do that because you have something that I need. So he walks towards her and hits her circle force field and it's a static charge. She says, primitive but effective. So she, her swirling 
light envelops her again and she tells the doctor to count the stones and beware the, I think she calls him, yeah, beware the ogre and count the stones as she disappears. And the maid says, what does she mean, count the stones? The doctor looks at her and says, of course, three of the stones are missing. And of course, the ogre, how, I, how have I uh, forgotten? The ogre, uh, their home planet is Talcetti, and the doctor goes on and on to himself, kind of, that how it's a swampy planet, and there was these stones absorb protein from where they they planted themselves, and of course, the nearest substance like substance on earth would be the protein uh, of globulin and human blood and the is confused and says well, but where is you know yes so what are, what are you talking about and what are these ogres he says well they've been on earth for for thousands of years he says and he mentions that they're in her own history is Gog Magog and the ogres and um, he asks off, says, do you have any Tridian crystals? She says, well, I don't know. They'll be back at the cottage. And she says, I still don't understand where Ramana is and where Vivian is and where all this stuff is. And he calms her down and he tells her he's going back to the TARDIS to get some stuff. She go back to the cottage and they meet up later. So they... The doctor returns. Canine has been is all better, and he's brought him with him. He's brought and built a ray gun, some type, and he's working on the finishing touches. And Vivian um, or Amelia brings the only crystals she could find, and the doctor tastes them and says, "Oh yeah, these are the right things." This is. I knew they'd be around here somewhere because that's how she was powering her that wand of hers. He tells Amelia that Vivian and Ramana are in hyperspace, and um, she doesn't really understand. And they talk of Einstein's theory, and the doctor starts saying it, and she joins in. And I think we talked about this moment before in another episode where. She continues on with the the whole uh, bit of the theory that we mostly hear. She says, but she'll encounter the time distortion effect. And they have a conversation where the doctor says, I tried to explain it to Albert, but he would insist he was right. And she, she still doesn't understand hyperspace and... So he tries to explain a little bit better. She goes, then she understands. She goes, so she, well, maybe you can explain to me sometime. Then you have a spare moment. Uh, she asks him, "Are you from outer space?" And he says, he pauses and says, "I'm more what, I'm from more what you would call inner time." But she still doesn't really understand. You can tell. And he doesn't expand on it. He finishes his, his ray gun and asks K-9 to check it out for him. And K-9 does a reading on the machine and says that it has a limited range and will only last for a certain period of time. So they take that to the circle. 
and the doctor um, tells her to, to switch it on and um, the canine will be able to fend off the, the, uh, the ogre if they come. And uh, she says, well, or she, she asks actually, you know, well, well, what if I do if, you know, that runs out and, and the ogre are, you know, are still threatening with us. And he says, well, run as if something very nasty is after you because something very nasty will be after you. And she says, well, what about you? He says, well, I'll be doing enough of that in any case. She says, you just switch on um, when it hits this reading and then switch on every, say, half hour um, until so until we come back. And she, he says, well, aren't you worried about going into hyperspace? And he says, oh, don't worry about me. If I'm lost there, it's a theoretical absurdity, and that's something I've always wanted to be lost in. So they kind of say their goodbyes. She hits the button, and sparks fly, and so she has to switch off, and the doctor has to make a quick adjustment, which he starts to make as the ogre approach. So... Um, doctor manages to make the fix. Um, she switches on. Um, the doctor fades away in the light, the swirling purple light. Canine starts blasting at the ogre to keep him away. The doctor arrives in the hallway of a, of a large ship and is spinning and spinning settles himself down and marks the floor with an X where he arrived and then he goes looking around the spaceship we see an exterior shot of the spaceship with the doctor in the windows of it and then the background of swirling purpley lights of hyperspace and the doctor goes searching we see a shot of Ramana uh, confined in a little cell with her arms in kind of shackles next to a, the remains of a robot that's also been shackled there. Uh, we see Vivian is looking about. The doctor discovers uh, a cell door and opens it and a skeleton falls out. And he looks even more and then finds Ramana and frees her. She says to him, the rapid fire questions where have where have you been? What have you been doing? And where are we? He goes, well, in strict order, busy, nothing, hyperspace. And they freeze her and they, they leave the cell. The uh, Shurmana wonders where they are because hyperspace is a theoretical absurdity. Everybody knows that, she says. So he goes to a control panel and shows her on the screen the position of the circle on Earth and the position of the ship direct, directly over it. She says, well, if this spaceship has been here for so long, why has it been here for so long, and why has it stopped here? Did it run aground? And uh, she says, who knows what's in hyperspace for it to get stuck upon? Um, so they wander and look around and say, well, the third segment's here somewhere. Where do we look for it? It's a really large ship. 
so you see a longer shot of the exterior of the ship with them inside. Canine okay, is uh, not able to hold on much longer. Um, nothing has come through the beam, so Amelia switches off again, and then the ogre also leave. The canine uh, says that he needs to recharge as well, and meaning that the, she says, "Oh, the ogre, they're leaving. That means they're giving up." He says, "Yes, they're leaving. No, they're not giving up." they probably have to recharge too. And she says, oh, that means blood. It means they're going to kill someone. And then we see a nice little orange tent in the wilderness and a young man steps out and looks and is like, hey, calls to his companion um, to come for her to come and take a look at these two big standing stones that were not there the night before. He said, oh, maybe somebody put them there as a joke, but they must weigh tons. How did they get here? And she comes up and she touches one of them and her hand is like immediately being sucked, pulsed, the rocks pulse and she can't move her hand and he goes to help her and they're, once they're in contact with the ogre, the stones are pulsing and just taking the, the life out of them. The doctor looks in more of the windows of the of the little cells that are down the hallways and all around the ship. He says, you know, I think this might have been a convict ship or a prison ship transporting prisoners around. He looks in another window and sees a worm. Wasn't the worm from mm -hmm. the from the Ark in Space story? And uh, then there's, Romana points out that there's another seal on a door that's of a different color. It's like, was there first class in the convict ship? So there's writing on the little seal of the, near the handle and the doctor can't read it. He says, well, let's just open it. So he breaks the, the glass or breaks the seal and they open the door and look inside and they don't see anything in it. We see two sparkly beings come out above their heads into the hallway. They um, they turn and are addressed by these beings who say that they are the Megara. They are justice machines. They are judge, jury, and executioner. And ask. Who broke the great seal? Yeah. Who broke the great seal? And he says, well, that's what well, I did. He says, but I only, I did it because I feared for your safety. And so the, um, the one says, oh, well, the, you know, that could garner leniency. And the other says, oh, but breaking the great seal is punishable by death. And as the Megara argue amongst themselves and start assigning themselves parts uh, to play in the case, the doctor and Romana start walking away and slip out of the picture. K-9 is still trying to charge his own batteries um, and reminds Amelia that it's time to switch the machine on. So she does so and Vivian appears and um, Amelia is surprised to see her 
K-9 immediately says, Do not touch the machine, Miss Faye, or I'll have to stun you. And she says, You couldn't light a match. And it's true, his blaster is down to a thin little thready stream of red, and he's not charged. The, uh, so Vivian uses her wand, warns Amelia to get out of the way, so I don't have to kill you. And, um, blasts the hyperspace machine in the doctor's belt. And then she uses her own staff to get herself back to hyperspace. And she calls on the ogre as she leaves and dematerializes. So the doctor and Romana are get, trying to get away from the justice machines and he finds a spot he'd marked on the floor and they have to huddle close together in the spot because it's a small range and nothing's happening. And then Romana points out that Vivian has nearly rematerialized and she's returned with the with the ogre. She tells the doctor that she's destroyed his little pathetic little machine and now they are trapped in hyperspace forever. She laughs. It echoes around the ship and we see a long shot of the ship that they are stuck on in the end. Another pretty good episode. Yes, yeah. Pretty good, but also contains the bad, bad, bad scene. <laughs> this is the one where they're, when they're in the library. Yeah, and the ogre comes to attack. And the ogre comes to attack, and in the, hall, the dark hallway behind it, you see somebody step over and a white, bright white sleeve of his dress shirt or whatever shirt mm -hmm. he has on. It's like, oh, terrible, terrible. You can even see part of his hand, so there's no mistaking no. it for a guy in a, sh in a white shirt. And I think you're supposed to be able to see the trolley that it's rolling on, oh, but I'm so distracted by that extra arm <laughs> that I don't know if I've ever noticed the trolley. No, I, I didn't know that. That's what the production notes said. Oh. I don't believe they commented on the arm, though, of all things. Yeah. So, I don't that, know. That's weird that they have commented on other such things, and we haven't seen it. Which makes me wonder if the arm is actually something else, that we're just seeing it as an arm. I don't know. But like I said, I've I seen that scene enough times yeah. that I'm pretty sure it's an, a person standing there. Because yeah, they, they move in the shot, mm. and even a little more in the shot. I don't know. I'm gonna have to watch that scene again. I think maybe just to maybe. see. I'll have to watch it just for the trolley. It, yeah. Yeah. They, they do. I did see a mention where they when they when he goes over the cliff. The ogre, yeah. That they not fastened it to the trolley so that right. when it hits the edge, it could be free and go over the edge. And would you say that the the light uh, under the water? Mm -hmm was actually stock footage or yeah, something so else. Yeah, so the director found it somewhere huh. and it fit perfectly for that scene, yeah. luckily for him. Yeah, I, I thought that looked pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. Fit right in. Yes. Uh, kind of a little uh, avant-garde way of getting it to go over the edge. Yeah. The little matador um, act. It's still kind of fun. Seems weird. 
Why would the ogre respond to a cape? Maybe it's just um, heat. You know, body heat, body temperature Mm -hmm. or something. They can sense the blood within, the, the protein within or something. And he does hold it kind of off to the side but not so much you know so it's just coming towards him and so he steps yeah, out of the way ah. anyway it was a nice effect of it going over the cliff though and then going out into the water mm-hmm. um, as I said when we were watching it there's so many interesting things and good lines uh, funny or, or otherwise good from these episodes that I have forgotten about. It's like, I knew these so well. <laughs> and it all comes back for me. But it's like, the, uh, this is, run like something very nasty is after you because something <laughs> very nasty will be after you. It, and that part's funny by itself. But then when you add, when she says, well, what about you? It says, I'll be doing that in any case. <laughs> uh, just that second part really makes me laugh yeah because you could almost miss it he says it very quickly um and i remember watching and re-watching different segments of the videotapes that i had so i could get all these little nuances and the little things that he says very quickly mm-hmm. that i would miss the first five six times yeah. i watched it and then how she asked me where have you been? What have you been doing? Where are we? And he answers them strictly in you know that yeah. order. Just yep. it's another just a very in character thing, I think. Yes, very much so. And things that I really liked about the fourth Doctor. Yeah. Now, did you recognize the? "Quote unquote skeleton that was there with Romana." Does the skeleton look like a robot? It no. was a robot. Well, okay. an android. An android. No. It's one of the androids from Android Invasion. Oh, okay. Crawl, I think they were called, or their creators. I don't know which. I don't remember which. Oh yeah. ones who had created that whole village yes I think so yep. on another planet okay that Sarah Jane had come and done a story about something like that at yeah. some point okay and so we had the scene of her faceless at one point oh, with her replacement yeah. lost its face uh huh that was one of the, the androids yes oh. no I didn't recognize that I did recognize the weirin though oh yeah the weirin or Impossible not to recognize well, as many times as I've seen Ark in space. Yeah. Even though um, it's said on the info track, but it's like, oh, I remember oh, what yeah. those were. Yeah. I swear no they just idea. got that carcass hanging around them, so they use it whenever they need <laughs> a dead alien. <laughs> that looks like a big bug. Yeah. Yep, that's all they need. Whether it needs to be or not. <laughs> I think if they just need a dead alien. Yeah. Pull that styrofoam carcass out. <laughs> Straighten up those wings. 
Yeah, well, it was expensive, man. <laughs> Get all the money they can out of those things. Yep. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, the like I said, I kind of. I've, Kind of mentioned this before how the the doctor fits the the aliens into the the earth mythology that you know the the giants of of old Gog Magog and mm-hmm. ogres are the three ogre. Um, yeah, not sure how that really works, but I'm not sure whether really it does or if it's even important. No, well, it's just he's pointing out to Amelia how they've been around for so long. She should, you know, I think the legends them. of the nine sisters or whatever they're called. Nine travelers. Nine travelers, whatever. Yeah. It should be enough proof of how long they've been there. Yeah. Um, the, the bit about the, with the, well, canine being fixed is, is fine with me. He, we don't need to see him put canine back together. Well, we kind of did see him putting it. Oh, well, putting him back together. Did he? Okay. Yeah, well, he was flipped over and the doctor was pulling bits and pieces out of him. Oh, okay. Um, I just remember Romana hooking him up and then leaving, so. But then he, he gathers all this other stuff and apparently he's able to make this, just this machine that he needs to have, which, um, it's kind of a ploy that we've seen before um, with the doctor. More third doctor, maybe, where he's able to take a jumble of things and make it work exactly how mm. he needed it yes. to be right then yeah. for something. Although, you know, he knew that, I guess we explained some of it by the fact that he knew that Vivian was using these crystals, so she must have some in store somewhere. Yeah, but where did the rest of it come from? Yeah, did he, were they just things that he had in the TARDIS? Or did he already have that device hanging around and he just was needed this, the crystals? Was it something he was kind of thinking about working on? Because he's interested in hyperspace as the theoretical absurdity that it is. Maybe that was his device for getting him into the absurdity. Yeah. So was it like his retirement plan? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> he always mm. wanted to be lost in one, but you know, if it really got that bad that he'd just send himself into hyperspace and, and see what it was all about and be lost. Mm-hmm. So. so it has a little bit of that, you know, convenience <laughs> ploy, but it could you could explain some of it. I think it's interesting that it didn't work right away. You know? That there was a mistake in There it. was a little bit of a mistake in the wiring, you yeah. know? And the, the doctor had to, like, stop and fix it under pressure that the ogre were coming and, you know, had to get out of there. And But it wasn't flawless, which I think just works really well. And I'm, I'm not sure whether this worked well or not. I, I just can't decide. The bickering sort of between the doctor and Canine over it. Mm. With basically Canine pointing fingers at him and 
the doctor basically just sidestepping it. Mm. So I know others won't see it that way, but... Yeah, but several of... The assistants have kind of been put in that role, and I think that's sometimes K-9's role. Yeah, that's become K-9's role since Romano's supposed to be. In these technical yeah. situations. Or at least at his level. Yeah. We still need the lesser individual to ask mm. the questions. Yeah. Except the K-9's supposed to be right up there, too. Uh-huh. He's absorbed the knowledge of the Matrix, for one thing. Yeah. He may not have it anymore, but still. True. Yeah, I don't really like that part as much. I mean, there's some give and take in other scenes that have been... that uh, were more fun to watch. You know, when they're kind of more good-natured um, uh, teasing in a way that were more interesting because you know a little more cerebral you have to kind of think about what how canine saying something mm-hmm. that it's a jib you know yeah those are more fun to be a part of as an audience member than this than the bickering kind of thing and telling them to shut up and stuff like that So I agree that that's not as as successful. Wasn't really necessary either. Mm-mm. And there's some parts that were a little slow. The borderline filler parts when the doctors take a lot of time to explain to Amelia. Not a lot, but enough time to explain to Amelia about Vivian and the portraits and how she's been raised, you know. Known by many names and such. Um, so I think if that would have gone on much longer, without being interrupted by the the ogre and the bad bad sleeve, hmm. um, <laughs> then that that would have been too much. Um, the next part is when they're when he's building the ray gun. And they're talking about Einstein's theory of relativity and time distortion and hyperspace and where Romana and Vivian really are and that kind of thing. It's a slow part, but... I think it kind of goes on a little too long. Yeah. It does a little bit. So that could have, if there's places to trim, that would have been one of them, I think. Mm -hmm. The other scene that I have a hard time with is the scene of the campers. Mm -hmm. The reason being, I'm not sure it was necessary to see how they consume blood. No. Having said that, I think if they had not included it I probably would have also dinged them 
for not showing them getting fed. Yeah. When they make a point of the ogre leaving to recharge. To recharge. Yeah. If they hadn't included a scene, it would have just been a convenient out for the writers so that they don't kill canine right then and there mm-hmm. and the press professor. So they had to have a scene. I just don't know that they needed a scene that showed them killing, how they killed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about that scene. Yeah. Well, it's not necessary, a, but it is. Yeah, I have a couple things about that too. Because, well, since you mentioned how they killed, when the ogre come after DeFries, the doctor finds mm-hmm. the body and the head's been smashed. Yep. Did they just do that because they were told to kill him, not because they needed to, to his blood? Because they get his blood later when the Kaliak is feeding it to him. When, he's, well, when she's taken the bodies and she's... They did, okay, did she take the blood from them? I th- believe so. Okay. We see that she, that they've knocked the doctor out. And he comes to and, he, and Romana and the professor have come. And he says they need to go look for the bodies before hmm. you send a woman. Okay. So I, and then we see her in the circle with the robes on the ground, and she pours the blood onto the stones. So I'm guessing it's their blood. So I, I guess it could be explained away that the difference in the attacks was that one, she just sent them after the DeFries to kill them, so they just smashed their head. Because they're big stones, I guess they could do that. Um, and then she'd feed them later. <laughs> but now that she's in hyperspace and dealing with other things, if they have to recharge on their own, I, I agree that I don't think we needed to see how they did it. I think that they could have done the scene a little bit better since I agree that they had to have something showing. Yeah. That somebody else was going to... They had to show the, the sacrificial victim. The red shirt going down to the uh, in the away team. Um, <laughs> he had to show who was going to get it next, you know. Uh, I think that they could have come out and looked at the, the stones and we could have seen them start to pulse and they could have cut away and just heard a scream. It would have been sufficient. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. The other thing I have with that is because, you know, uh, we've talked about it not really being a kid's show anymore, but I think it's, it comes back around to being a little more of a kid's show with the Fourth Doctor because he was very focused on that, and he had a lot of young fans, I think. But you notice when the, we see the campers, we see the tent, and we see the, young, the younger man come out of the, the tent shirtless, buttoning his jeans. Yeah. And then he calls to his partner, who's another, a young woman. Mm-hmm. It just seems a little adult to me. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that, but it doesn't didn't strike me necessarily that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it could be seen. But they really could have cut the scene down to just 
not having the hand stuck to the I mean the hand fades to a skeletal hand it's like I don't I think that's more information than we need in a couple ways <laughs> so because it seems to say it kind of seems out of place to um, in a way for the series as well to have these um, throwaway characters you know that it's I think it's unusual that we see people that are just there to be fed to the the aliens you know the bad guys mm-hmm It seems like a little departure um, on the series part. Because I can't think of one that comes to mm. mind. But I, apart from, say, the unit soldiers that we never see, never meet, that get shot by, you know, the alien ray gun or something, or eaten by a dinosaur or whatever, um, we know there are troops for unit. So we don't have to meet all of them. And then have them, you know, just show up on camera when they get shot at or something. But these are, you know, specific individuals in the scene of their own, and they encounter this alien. I guess it—it's probably happened before, but it just seems to stand out a little bit to me. Mm. I don't think they. Um, the part where they're looking around the ship goes on really too much. You kind of no, have to I don't get think so either. you kind of have to get a sense of it being a very big ship that they, they have this task ahead of them and they have to look around a little bit. So I think that was all right. Well, and you need to understand why they came to the conclusion that they did that it's a prison ship. Yes, yes, and then looking and seeing the different creatures and stuff. Yep. And honestly, it's the hundredth story, and I think they were using the aliens sort of as a way to reminisce. As a little nod yeah. to the previous ones. Yep. That's good. So the Megara, which I did not remember the name of, I was kicking myself for that one because before we started the was it before we started the key to time or just before we started the story? I can't remember. I think I was coming up with all the names of the people and stuff and I, had, I did not remember them correctly. You had to look it up and tell me. <laughs> that is one thing I have noticed with these and my note taking. It's like, I don't have to wonder, okay, now what was that person's name? This crewman and that crewman? Because... I know all the characters' names. <laughs> Sometimes if I hear them or see them in the info track, I'll write them off to the side for myself so I'll know, you know, we learn that his name is this. Um, but I know what they are in the, in the, the key to time ones. That's been a bonus. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of the judge, jury, and executioner? Megara. Oh, I'm fine with them. But at least partly because I know what's going to happen. Yeah. 
there. I think it is fun how they start arguing the case immediately. Mm-hmm. They've made this case for one, yep. and they start arguing it immediately. And Doctor realizes pretty quickly that they're going to be doing this for a while, so let's just try to escape while we can. Um, Romana says at one point, they're still following us. It's like, what do you expect? They're just as machines. You know, but uh, he recognizes the danger, but he also recognizes that this could go on for a while Mm -hmm. and tries to get out of there while he can. Um, I think they're really again quite a departure for uh, a character because we don't really see anything but some. On undulating lights in right. two little groupings that kind of undulate a little bit differently when they're supposed to be speaking and it's really easy to follow mm-hmm. which one is which and um, I don't I think they did that really well court TV and stuff would be a lot different with justice machines. Oh, I don't know. I think that most oh. of the court TV judges <laughs> believe they are judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> the arguing would go on and on still. <laughs> judge Judy from Diplos. No. <laughs> <laughs> judge Judy the Megara. We haven't heard Diplos yet. Is there anything else? Uh, no, I don't think so. Cliffhanger. I think it's a pretty good one. Um, you know, I don't think we, we don't think that the Doctor and Romana will be trapped in hyperspace forever. Oh, no. Of course. Not at all. But I think it is, uh, you know, they're both together in this, in danger, anyway, and in this strange situation, a place, uh, you know, hyperspace that they didn't even know really existed. Um, She tells them that the way out they, the doctor thought he had, is gone. They have, uh, she's there with Ogri, and they've released the, they have the justice machines after them. So there are a lot of things going on, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of questions and a lot of avenues to consider before the next episode, so I think it's pretty good. I agree. But yes, I don't think you're at all worried that they're stuck there. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things, different threats, all in all in one, all together here, which is um, a little unusual. Usually it's like one thing. How do you it's think the one bad guy. But here it's, you know, it's Vivian with the Ogri 
mm. and the justice machines and being trapped. I mean, there's quite a lot of bad things, bad possibilities. Yeah, I guess so. I hadn't really thought about the justice machines that way, but you're right. Still, yeah, very good. Absolutely. You know, a couple little tweaks, you know, like the, the, the bad effect there and the scenes that went on just a little bit too long. Yeah, but even those weren't too sense. bad. No, you really could get through them quite well. So, still a pretty strong episode, even for a third episode. You know, that's kind of where we start seeing a little bit of the stretching or a little mm-hmm. bit of the exposition explaining little little bits that um, when they seem to have more time to go into it. And, but it, it didn't seem too bad. That's it. That's it. All right. Join us tomorrow, or excuse me, on Monday, mm-hmm. when we talk about the final episode of The Stones of Blood. <laughs> so I hope you join us then. Thank you for listening. <laughs>